0: filler in business books and audiobooks takes up time that you don't have you're here because you want the golden nuggets from each book without all the BS. The more you learn, the more power you have to affect the world around you. This is the Cut the Crap Podcast. Never read a book again. And here's your host, Ryan Calaguri. What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for joining me on another episode of Cut the Crap Podcast. Podcast. I hit that P really hard. In any case, thank you so much, you guys, for joining me on this week's show it really means a lot to me that you're here and uh, for all of you who are new to the show, thanks for joining me. I hope you really enjoy it and I hope that you make this show a part of your routine because every single week, it's tough to get in a business book. But if you can tune in to me every single week, you get a business book under your belt. You get the golden nuggets under your belt. You get the mind maps. You get the reports. Whatever it is, you get all this. It makes it so much easier for you instead of having to carve out time every single week to do this. Man, listen to me while you're on the treadmill, on the way to work, whatever it is. Tune in every single week and I can guarantee you, guarantee you that at the end of the year, you will be smarter. You will have more information at your disposal and you'll just become a better marketer, a better sales professional. You'll become more strategic, more innovative. You'll become a better manager. All these things I can promise you because all of it's coming from people who just know better and they're sharing our knowledge with us through these books and I'm bringing it to you in a much easier format. All right, so really quickly, I have to say thank you to you guys. Really, thank you so much to all of you who have reached out to me on cutthecrappodcast.com. You guys are filling in the contact form at the bottom of the page there, and you're using that to reach out to me. And it means a lot to me that you do. When I get those messages from you guys, it just makes me smile. Because it's telling me that I'm doing something right, and it's telling me that I'm on the right path, and to keep doing what I'm doing. And I love to see that. So thank you so much for your messages. Keep them coming. Also, feel free to reach out to me. I'm on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, Snapchat, Instagram. Whichever one you're on, I'm there. So do me a favor and let's connect. Um, You know, to me, it's all about building relationships. Nothing makes me happier than to see the people, the faces behind the names of who's actually listening out there. It's always cool to see that. You know, this week, being connected to Kate Finnerock from Brooklyn, my man Rodney from Charlottetown PEI, Catherine VDG from Vancouver. Thanks so much for uh, reaching out to me, you guys. It always means a lot. And of course, there's so many more of you guys, but, you know, those are just a few that stood out in my mind. But continue to reach out to me. Nothing makes me happier. And uh, to me, in the end, guys, it's all about relationships, this thing. Um, You know, if I can continue bringing you guys great content on a regular basis and build a relationship with you, I'm laughing. I mean, I'm, I'm having even more fun then. So thanks so much, you guys. Keep it up and um, continue giving me feedback. Let me know what you guys think. Uh, oh, one more thing before we actually move into the podcast, the mind maps. So every single week, I'm getting messages from you guys asking for the mind maps to the uh, previous episodes. Completely agree with you. Uh, 100% on board. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take all the mind maps and I'm going to put them on CutTheCrapPodcast.com. Uh, I want to make sure that you guys have access to them. There's no reason why you can't have access to them. It's just I didn't think about it. You guys told me about it, so I'll do it. Great idea. One more thing too uh, about the mind maps. Last week's episode of How to Win Friends and Influence People that was a crazy mind map. It was too long and too much content to put into a mind map. It just didn't make sense. So I, instead of doing a mind map, I just put it in a PDF format with a table of contents about the book, the golden nuggets broken down into the exact scripts that I use. Yeah, I use scripts because if I didn't, I'd be here for, you know, an hour and a half, two hours talking about the damn book. So I want to keep it condensed for you. Um, I actually kind of like that. I like how it looks and I'm, I'm doing the same thing for this podcast. So here's the deal. Uh, for, the last, for this week's podcast and last week's podcast, I used PDFs instead of mind maps. I'm going to upload those, you have one in your inbox already, let me know what you think. Do you like it? Do you hate it? If you like it, then I'll keep it going. If you like the mind maps, then maybe what I'll do is I'll just bring the mind map into the PDF. So in any case, just let me know what you like, what your preference is, and I'll get it to you. But anyways, I've talked way too much, let's crack right into it. So today's book is The Attacker's Advantage by Ram Charan, a great book. Man, I say that every single week. They're all good books because I'm taking something from it. But this is a really good book because I love the fact that it focuses on the persistence, on the offense, on the offensive mindset that an entrepreneur, that somebody working in a business, whether you're a marketer, sales professional, if you're a product developer, if you're a strategist, it doesn't matter who you are. You have to be on the offensive. And those who are on the offensive capitalize on opportunities that happen in the marketplace. Far too many of us just get passive. We're too comfortable with our current reality and the safety of, oh, you know what? We're fine. You know what? It's fine. There's, there, there's trends that are coming in, but those are far from now. I mean, it's not going to hit us for about, you know, five, six, seven, eight years. Don't worry about it. That's a, ooh, that's I almost swore. That's a crappy attitude to have. You can't have that attitude and expect to win in business. You can't. I mean, unless you're just going to mail it in and you're close to retirement in the next few years anyways, then who gives a damn? But who cares about the other people in the organization, right? I mean, who cares about them? Wrong. Give a damn about the company you're with. Take pride in it. And look at different trends that are coming out in the marketplace and capitalize on them. That's what this book is about. And I'm a big fan of this book because I think that too many of us are comfortable. And comfort's a killer. We've heard that so many times. Comfort is a killer, and it's a killer of businesses. And there's a lot of examples of organizations that face changes in their industry, and they went out of business as a result. Borders, anybody? Blockbuster, ring a bell? There's a lot of you folks out there who work in businesses that are facing pressures from the industry, that are facing pressures from disruptors, from innovators. And you're looking at that and you're saying, ah, don't worry about it, we're doing fine. You're not doing fine. You're not doing fine. You need to take action, and that's what this book is about. All right, so why don't we crack right into this one? Golden nugget number one. Great leaders must learn to navigate structural uncertainty. Now, taking control of uncertainty is the essential leadership challenge of today's corporate community. The immense uncertainty in the current marketplace is truly unique. Its speed, impact, and increasing difficulty understanding what the hell to do makes it very different from any time in history. There are two types of uncertainties. First, you have operational uncertainties. Now, these are the things such as optimizing production, launching a new product, or adjusting to interest rates. Those are operational uncertainties. The second kind of uncertainty is structural uncertainty, which occurs when the structure of the market becomes significantly destroyed or diminished. Steering a business through structural uncertainties requires a different type of leadership, one with new skills for anticipating events and going on the attack. Now, traditional leaders, on the other hand, they wait for uncertainties in the external environment to occur before they react to them. It's not good enough. Instead of waiting and reacting, great leaders immerse themselves in the uncertainties of the external environment. They set a path to steer the organization decisively into it. Now, when we talk about structural uncertainty, it doesn't just come out of nowhere. It doesn't arise suddenly. More often than not, early warning signals, they go unnoticed. And that's why it creeps up on people. It's just because they're not aware. They're not looking for it. Companies like Nokia and Dell have faced structural uncertainties with varying degrees of success. Dell, for example... They were a market leader and enjoyed massive, massive profit margins. But that was until none other than Apple came around in the 2000s and introduced the tablet. The new technology, the tablet, it triggered a drastic drop in demand for personal computers and laptops, which were, of course, Dell's main products. This structural uncertainty resulted in Dell's share price taking a beating. They didn't even see it coming. Now, case study number two, Nokia, they made a similar mistake when the smartphone was introduced to the marketplace. This is also a structural uncertainty, which they knew about for a while. And how do I know that? Because they could see that Apple was filing patents like crazy. So this new technology they were releasing, Apple was sending signals left, right and center that they were on this new technology. Look at the patent databases. You could see what they were filing. But Nokia failed to act on those warning signals, which eventually led to them losing its hold as the market leader in cell phones. You can manage an operational uncertainty with existing tools. It's not a problem. That's easy enough to do. But structural uncertainty, that's outside of your control. And it can absolutely obliterate your business if you don't detect it in time and create your own space in the new environment that is taking shape. Now, the key here, is that if you don't wanna become like Dell or Nokia, you need to learn how to spot uncertainty and not ignore it. You need to act quickly. Now we live in a world where there is so much structural uncertainty all around us and nobody's safe, nobody's safe. Even some of the oldest industries like law, they're not even safe. With companies like LegalZoom or my good friends at LawScout, they're disruptors in the industry absolute disruptors because they're bringing something new to the marketplace that the traditional marketplace is not used to and the traditional marketplace says ah don't worry about them but the chances of them taking over us very rare yeah that's what everybody thought that's what blockbuster thought when netflix was coming in that's what dell thought when apple was coming in that's exactly what nokia thought when apple and blackberry and android were coming in and look what happened all you need is to have one of these individuals come up with an idea. Then all of a sudden you have a slew of other individuals who come on top of that and they say, Wow, what a great idea. How come I didn't think about that? And all of a sudden you have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten legal zooms, you have twenty law scouts, and all of a sudden, what's happening? Traditional law, it's changing in the blink of an eye. And at one point, they said, oh, it's never going to happen. But as momentum builds and as that snowball starts to pick up momentum and goes down that hill, it gets bigger and bigger until all of a sudden you realize, holy crap, we're behind the eight ball here. It's going to happen, especially in professional services. It happened to software developers where everything was custom and then all of a sudden software as a service came along. The cloud came along. Boom. Look what happens. No more big projects. No more big whales. Doesn't exist anymore. Anyways. Anyways. The key takeaway here, again, is you have to be on the lookout for structural uncertainties. Look at trends that are happening in your marketplace and look to exploit them. Again, remember the name of this book, The Attacker's Advantage. You can't sit down and be passive. You have to look at what the reality is, the current reality, stare it in the face, and attack the truth. What do you need to do to survive as an organization? Golden nugget number two, use perceptual acuity to stay ahead and create innovations. Someone that responds to early developments and change in their industry and does something about it before a major shift occurs, those people are called catalysts. Now, catalysts have the ability to identify patterns in confusing sets of circumstances to see how and why industry-wide change might occur. This is called perceptual acuity. So the question is, how do catalysts use perceptual acuity to their advantage? First, they start by identifying what's called seeds, like an apple seed. Seeds are things that have the potential to grow and flourish into something truly innovative. If you're looking for seeds, patents are highly underrated, highly underrated. When people are coming up with new ideas for innovations, they just sort of sit there in their own mind and they brainstorm and they say, Ah, how do I come up with something? Naturally, that's what we all do. However, using patent databases like google.com slash patents, you have access to all patents that have been created. And it's all at your fingertips. Go on there and just like you would on a Google search, type in keywords for your industry and see what patents exist. Get familiar with that search engine. I don't mean Google, but I mean Google patents get comfortable with that and you'll see different types of patents that may or may not apply to you and your company. But use that as a starting point. Use that as a seed to build upon. Now, if you're a catalyst, and remember, a catalyst is someone who spots early developments and changes in their industry and does something about it before a shift happens. So if you're a catalyst. Catalysts are forward-thinking enough to spot those sorts of innovations and build on them to create their own future and their own success. Let's tell you a little story about an individual named Paul Breedlove. Paul Breedlove is a catalyst. He rediscovered a speech recognition technology that was invented in the 1960s, which won awards but eventually faded away. Now, Paul decided to hire the inventor of this innovation as a consultant in the 70s as he invested $25,000 in his drive to create the next children's digital learning game called Speak and Spell. So what happened? This device was a massive success, huge success, made him a lot of money. But it's interesting to note that he would have never gotten to that point. He would never be successful. He would have never created Speak and Spell if it weren't for the original seed technology that the inventor created, that Paul Breedlove found. We all have that opportunity at our disposal. We all do. And there's people out there who are buying up patents left and right because they see potential opportunities in the future. You can be that person as well, too there's nothing that's holding you back from that. It's very easy to do. You just have to search, and you have to have the perceptual acuity to see things and say, hey, you know what? We might be able to leverage this in our industry to solve problem X, Y, Z. And the customer for this would be this person here. Oh, all of a sudden, if you're able to piece these things together, you might have something here. So contact the inventor and tell them that you're interested in buying their innovation. Because oftentimes I'll tell you, These patents, they're easy to buy. Some people, they might be sitting there dormant for years, for decades, and they might not have any use for it. But because they're an inventor, they're always coming up with new inventions. They don't care about that one anymore. That has no use. Ah, but they don't have the vision that you do. Okay, so if you're a product developer or if you are an entrepreneur, if you're somebody forward-thinking enough, you want to take advantage of that, patents, they're a great way. They're a great way to do that. Now, seeds that come in the form of patents, they're easier to find and identify. But catalysts with a high degree of perceptual acuity can find seeds in the rarest of places. For example, in bringing together two unrelated industries. This is something that a well-known gentleman named Ted Turner did. Turner was a brilliant catalyst who saw seed potential in two unrelated technologies, satellites and television. Before Turner, satellites were used just to transmit data to research centers, and TV cable networks, they were just emerging. So Turner saw a seed in the potential merger of these two technologies, creating the first nationwide television broadcast system. And the rest is history. Now the big takeaway here, innovation, it's best done by finding seeds from patents, Unrelated industries or future trends and piecing them together to create a brand new product or a brand new offer. Patent databases, you guys, here's a big golden nugget for you. Definitely go to google.com slash patents and just start searching. Start getting familiar with it. I'll be honest with you, you won't be comfortable with it at first. It's going to be tough for you to get your head around it. However, if you're the type of person that's looking to build new products, this is a great place to start. Golden nugget number three, how to increase perceptual acuity. So last golden nugget, I have you intrigued with this powerful force called perceptual acuity, but you might be sitting there thinking to yourself, listen, I mean, it sounds cool. It sounds great. I don't think I have it. And if I do, how do I increase my perceptual acuity? Well, I'll give you three ways to increase your seed spotting ability. First, Start by testing your perceptual acuity by speaking with people from other industries who deal with challenges that are different from the ones you deal with on a regular basis. Now, this is something that my mentor, Jay Abraham, he's a marketing genius. Uh, He taught me this many, many years ago. He always said that people in different industries, they face different problems than we do. They deal with things differently than we do. They market differently. They sell differently. They create offers differently. And by opening up our minds these different solutions strategies and trends it stimulates our mind and it allows us to see patterns and innovate come up with solutions far better than if we just stayed in our own industry if we just stayed in our own bubble jay abraham he's a brilliant innovator and a brilliant marketer and the reason for that is because he touches so many different industries so start by taking somebody out for coffee honestly it's just that simple Go in the, the um, your Chamber of Commerce directory or go on LinkedIn and find somebody who works in an industry that's different than yours. And ask them questions. Ask them what kind of problems do you face on a regular basis? How do you solve those problems? How do you market? How do you sell? Who's leading in your industry and why are they winning? And start piecing things together. The more you learn, the better off you'll be. The second way to increase your perceptual acuity And no surprise here to me, and I hope no surprise to you, become a voracious reader. Reading is a great way to gather knowledge you need to strengthen your perceptual acuity. Let's take Warren Buffett, for example. It's very well documented that Warren Buffett reads more than 500 transcripts of investor calls every single year. This information allows him to make insightful decisions across industries when it comes to his investments. And obviously, there's no question that Warren Buffett is a genius and he's very good at what he does. Arguably one of the best in the world at investing. And why? Because he reads so damn much. And obviously, guys, not a cheap plug here, but you're listening to this so you already know. Subscribing to the podcast is a great way to increase, to strengthen your perceptual acuity because you're getting different information from a new book, from a new author, from a new expert every single week. I mean, that by itself is bringing new knowledge to you. That will increase your perceptual acuity. And finally, the third way to strengthen your perceptual acuity is to continue to keep your eyes peeled for possibilities in your industry. Take, for example, Blackstone Group CEO Steve Schwartzman. Steve Schwartzman spends his Monday morning, every single Monday, every week, every month, looking for irregularities in the marketplace. He goes further, and this is really cool. I love this. He goes further and invites other sharp-minded individuals to join him where they discuss trends on what they feel is new and who potential industry catalysts could be. Now, I absolutely love this idea. There is a lot of value, a lot of value in bringing people together and sharing different ideas, bringing out different thoughts. But again, just don't bring any random person there. Bring some of the sharpest people, bring other catalysts into this group with you. And I tell you, the amount of innovations, the amount of insights that can come out of discussions like that, those can be very, very rich conversations. So there's three ways to increase your perceptual acuity, and you're doing one right now. Golden nugget number four: Never stop attacking. Now there's an old motto that my mentor, uh, not Jay, uh, Chet Chet Holmes, the author of The Ultimate Sales Machine. I think that's, um, I think that's episode number three. Actually, go back and listen to that one. Great book. But Chet always told me, always told me, that you get exactly what you deserve. That if a company goes out of business, they deserve that because they didn't plan properly. They didn't do business development well enough. They didn't market well enough. They weren't paying attention to trends in the marketplace and they just allowed things to happen to them. You get what you deserve. It's such an old phrase, but it's so true. And the reason why I tell you that is because People who get what they deserve in a negative sense, is because they stop attacking. They go more on the defensive and they stop moving forward in the marketplace and saying, how the hell can we start winning again? And how can we get ahead of the competition? Not how can we pot along and sort of make enough money to get along this year and what's happening next year? Oh, next year is going to be even tougher. You can't do that. Well, you can, but you have a responsibility to your employees. You have a responsibility to your shareholders, to your community to stay up and running. So you have to continue to attack. It's a shift that happens in your brain that you have to make. The best defense, as they say, is a good offense. And you might think that there's no need for aggressive tactics because your company, your industry, seems stable. We're so far away from any major disruption. But the reality is that there is no industry that is stable or safe. Every industry is currently under attack whether you know it or not. Structural uncertainty, it can happen at any point in time and it can strike at any moment. And when it does, you need to attack as soon as you see it. When you start seeing structural uncertainty, when you start seeing changes in your marketplace, in your industry, you have to research it. You have to attack it. You can't just put it on the back burner and focus on what's happening today. Can't do that. You have a responsibility to yourself, your employees, to your clients to continue staying ahead. Let's take, for example, Adobe CEO Shantanu Narian. He saw cloud computing coming in the early 2000s. And when he first saw this structural uncertainty rear its head, he decided to use aggressive tactics. Because if he didn't, these changes would replace Adobe's current model of providing hard copies of licensed software. So he got his team to invest in new computing abilities. They started doing research. And after they did enough research, he started to make acquisitions of small cloud computing companies before they got too big. So as he predicted, cloud computing took off, obviously, in a big way. And they were ahead of the game. And they crushed their competition because of his perceptual acuity. So the moment you see any signs of disruption in your industry, you need to be aggressive and you need to research it, learn about it, and determine how you can get on it or get ahead. And I can almost guarantee you, this I could do a speaking engagement about. And I can go through every single industry and find structural uncertainty happening. Maybe I will do that. Maybe I'll go out there and I'll do a a speaking engagement and talk about the, the impact that structural uncertainty can have on your organization. And I'd love, love to talk to people who think they're immune to things like that. Because man, oh man, there are... A lot of case studies of companies that thought the exact same thing and eventually went the way of the dinosaurs because of that. Golden nugget number five, you need to make decisions faster. Now obviously this book is all about being on the attack. If you are slow to make decisions, you're not attacking, you're in a passive state. So you need to be able to learn how to make decisions faster to keep up your momentum, to be able to maintain that attack. That forward attack, attack, attack. The challenge is, in most companies, there is such a slow processing of information on the way to making a decision. So your challenge is removing those long, drawn-out processes for making decisions, which will make your organization more agile or more steerable. So a way to do that, the author suggests, JPS, Joint Practice Sessions, Joint practice sessions operate on the premise that when information is transparent to everyone, people can form a common view of the total picture. As a result, people will be more willing and better equipped to make trade-offs and come up with solutions. It energizes people, it engages people, decisions get made faster, the organization gets results, it's all good. The challenge with this, though, and in this chapter that I didn't really like and, and the author really didn't touch on and I don't know if it's because he doesn't have experience in this area or not. And I'm not bashing him. I mean, the book's great. And I, the, the, the idea of a JPS is amazing. The challenge with that, though, is for an organization to implement this themselves, it's, I don't want to say it's impossible because I think it's impossible, but this is really tough. Because picture this. Uh, for a JPS to work, you need to include all the critical people in your organization. So you might include all the department heads, all the VPs, all the C-suite, whoever it is, the managers. Um, you need to include all of them in, on these meetings. So what does that mean? You know, does that mean, okay, we're going to have this meeting, it's going to be 30 people? 30 is too big. It's too big. And when you get all these people together, they all come to the table with uh, biases. There's politics. There's people who don't like each other. These things just turn into a big mess, and who facilitates this thing you can't have somebody in the organization actually facilitate this um, without facilitation experience experience you need to be able to take yourself out of this and be able to um, deal with conflicts you need to be able to pull ideas out of people who are too quiet you need to be able to read the room read body language if you don't have experience doing that you can't run a jps session it's too difficult it'll be a disaster and so that's one of the things where I think this author really didn't touch on. But I'll touch on that now because I have experience in that area. And I'm not saying I'm a hero that, oh, I'm so great. I mean, I'm not a great facilitator. I do, I do good work when it comes to facilitation. But I would say I'm far from a great facilitator. There's great facilitators out there. But when I worked with innovation teams, what we did was, again, we had a challenge or we had an opportunity So it was up to us on the team to come up with an idea to that problem. So I would help them come up with ideas to the different problems or solutions they were having. And as they came up with those solutions, at the very end, we came up with one. Well, we didn't come up with one, we settled on one. And we decided this is the one that we're gonna run forward with, great. So once we did that, everybody on the team, all the pessimists, all the skeptics, this was their opportunity to shine, because now that we had our our idea, it was their opportunity to kick it down and say, it's not going to work because of X or Y or Z, you know, we don't have enough money, we don't have the talent, Uh, something like this already exists or we can't build that because of this or this, this, Great. What we did was we took down all of those suggestions, every single one of those. And it was our job on a weekly basis to learn more about those, um, those barriers. And as a result of learning more about those barriers, we would figure out if those barriers had merit. And if they did have merit and we could not get around them, it killed our idea. Fail fast, fail cheap. Now, if we were able to get around those barriers, then great. And that was oftentimes what happened. We were able to get around those barriers and we were able to create a brand new solution or come up with a new idea to a problem or a challenge in 12 weeks or less. Every single time, 12 weeks or less. To come up with a new innovation for an organization, it takes most organizations, it'll probably take them months and months and months without a JPS. There's true value in joint practice sessions, true value in joint practice sessions, because once you bring a team together, and by the way, these teams weren't that big. They were about six to eight people. They were from diverse groups in the organization. We had somebody from finance, somebody from sales, somebody from marketing, and I helped them uncover things about the solution they may not have known. But if they had done this on their own, without a facilitator, it would be extremely difficult. So the idea of a joint practice session is an incredibly powerful tool, an incredibly powerful tool. When you bring everybody together on your organization, you have a facilitator there who's going to help facilitate sessions. And it's this team's job to come up with challenges. And you have a deadline as well, too. You have to be out of here in 10 to 12 weeks. You can make some really big decisions really, really quickly. And that is a game changer because a lot of organizations move too slowly. All right, for the final golden nugget, golden nugget number six, balance innovation with business as usual. A leader must maintain a company's existing business while simultaneously planning to go on the offensive. They have to be masters at steering the company on two tracks. Now, this is easier said than done, as most things are, but you have to be able to manage running an innovation project, coming up with a new product, a new service, or a new offer while running your business. It's difficult, but the author gives us four ways to make it easier. The first way, setting short-term milestones. So these milestones, they don't have to be quantitative, but they must be specific and paint a picture of where the organization wants to go. Number two, keeping the new path in focus. Great leaders need to track the short-term milestones just as closely as they would with costs or margins. They also have to be very quick at making quick decisions and taking quick actions when something deviates from the plan. Number three, financial resilience. An agile, steerable company has a greater capacity to withstand the shock if something unexpected strikes. Maintaining liquidity in a new venture requires strong management. So obviously, if you are investing in a new innovation project, that's going to pull people away, especially if you don't have people to work on that project. It's going to take money. It's going to take resources to put time into that. So if you are bleeding from all sides of your organization, it's going to be really, really tough for you to be able to focus on innovation while running the business at the same time. This is especially true for service-based companies where the billable hour is the end all be all. And if you have to pull people from being billable to working on non-billable work, that's a tough thing to do. It's a very tough thing to do. So you have to be able to be financially resilient to do that. The fourth and final piece, keeping others involved. Leaders should maintain a very high degree of communication and work with people within the organization to ensure that they are brought along on this path with them and that they are aware of the changes that are happening in the organization in the face of structural change. Communication is a vital, vital ingredient. So balancing innovation with business as usual, it's not easy. It's not easy, but every organization needs to get used to this. Um, The author has his experiences with this. Um, I have my own experiences with this as well, too. Balancing innovation with business as usual is tougher uh, because it does take people away from their jobs. The opportunity here, though, is that you don't need to pull them away for very long. What we did was we did uh, 12 weeks worth, 10 to 12 weeks worth, and we took people out of their job for two hours every single week. That's not asking a whole heck of a lot. Now, when we went through an ideation session where we had to come up with ideas, that was a half a day. That was four hours. But for the most part, it's two hours every single week. You can definitely balance innovation with business as usual at two hours a week. It's not that much time. Now, if you guys have any more questions about that, I'd be happy to answer questions for you. Again, you guys know how to get in touch with me. I'm on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, Snapchat, Instagram. You can email me through the website, cutthecrappodcast.com. This is a very exciting topic for me, um, as is any other topic, but uh, this one's a little bit more of an interesting one because people uh, look at innovation as something that's very complex, and it's not that complex. In fact, it's very easy. As long as if you know what to do and you know what to look for, So if you guys have any questions about that, I'm all ears. All right, there we have it. The Attacker's Advantage, Turning Uncertainty into Breakthrough Opportunity by Ram Charan. Great book, solid book. And uh, I know I say that every single time. I know I do, but it's true. If I'm able to take away just one golden nugget, just one piece that I can apply into my life or into my career, um, it's all worth it. And to me, the takeaway today was the differentiation between operational uh, uncertainties and structural uncertainties. I always knew about structural uncertainties, but by putting a name to it, it made it that much more powerful and that much more concrete in my mind. And I still like the idea, and I'm probably going to do it because I like the thought of it, is putting together a list of structural uncertainties that exist in different industries. Because there's a structural uncertainty, there's a list of them that exist in every single industry. And so it could be fun. It could be fun for me to go out and find out what all all of those uh, uncertainties are and uh, do a presentation on it. Now, this book, there's a lot that I took from it, but there's a lot of things that I already did from it, like JPS, I've been doing that for a long time. Um, Patent databases, I've used those before with innovation teams, uh, looking at different unrelated industries uh, for innovations. I've done that as well, too. Um, Learning from different people from different industries. Again, my mentor, Jay Abraham, taught me that years ago. So this book has a lot of really solid takeaways in it that's really helped me in my career, and I hope it'll do the same for you. There's a lot of really good takeaways here. So again, like I encourage you every single week, Try to take away one or two things from each episode. It's difficult to really take away everything from it. So don't try to take away everything from it. Just try to take away one or two things. Because every single week, there's a brand new book with brand new takeaways. So if you're able to take away just a few things, just a couple, you'll be much, much better off. All right, that is a wrap. Thank you so much for joining me on this week's episode of Cut the Crap Podcast. Don't forget to sign up for your mind maps. Go to cutthecrappodcast.com and sign up for your mind maps. They summarize this episode as well as all the previous episodes. And you'll get that in your inbox every single week. It's a nice physical copy. It complements the podcast episode really nicely. And I know a lot of you guys are looking for all the previous episodes. Like I said at the top of the episode, you guys will get all the mind maps. I'll post those on the website very shortly, probably before June. You'll get those soon. All right, you guys, thank you so much again for joining me on this week's episode. I hope you guys have a productive week. I'll see you back here next week with a brand new business book and, of course, a load of brand new golden nuggets. Take it easy. Have a great week. I love you guys.
1: If you only have 24 hours in a day, your success is dependent upon how you use the 24. You got to hear me, people talk about Oprah Winfrey, you know, Ted Turner, Warren Buffett. listen to me. I don't care how much money you make, you only get 24 hours in a day. And the difference between Oprah and the person that's broke is Oprah uses her 24 hours wisely. That's it, listen to me. That's it, you get 24. I don't care if you broke, you grew up broke, I don't care if you grew up rich, I don't care if you're in college, you're not in college, you only get 24 hours. And I blew up literally. I went from being a high school dropout to selling 6,000 books in less than six months. What happened? My 24 hours. I was like, okay, Eric, you got to get a grip on your 24 hours because you're about to be broke for the rest of your life. And that's all I need you to do for me. I can tell you all about your life if you just write down your 24-hour schedule for me and you let me look at it. I can tell you where you're going to be in five years. I can tell you where you're going to be in 10 years. I can tell you where you're going to be in 20 years if you keep that schedule.